Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Now a show that's going to give you the truth about the biggest epidemic of our times. We're all a little crazy. Welcome back to another episode of We're All a Little Crazy. I'm your host, Eric Houston, along with co-host Theo Fleury, NHL great and mental health advocate. And at this cross-section of mental health meets current events, you know, we had the loss of Jimmy Hayes last week, and we had on Kevin Stevens, which was a real appropriate guest. And, you know, as we thought about the, the, the format of this show, it was really to think about not always what is directly in the media's eyes as it pertains to mental health, but almost tangentially how mental health is brought into so many news stories. And so... The news in Afghanistan really started to heat up in July. Um, you know, going to give you a full t- timeline in terms of the the events that happened in a little bit. But y- U.S. abandons the Bagram uh, Air Force Base. Uh, the American public and the world is told by the current administration that Afghans are trained. Government is ready for it. There's 300,000 deep within the Army that's going to be able to keep control of Afghanistan. It won't topple to the Taliban. Um, and and that unfortunately starts to go south almost immediately. We see the Taliban, who'd been in power before 9-11, so from 1996 to 2001, they start advancing through the country and eventually taking over control of, uh, of the city of Kabul. And, you know, immediately I started thinking about, I'm looking at one of our guests, Jack, here. I started thinking about my friends who are in the military and all who served some in Afghanistan and some elsewhere all over. And I'm wondering what must be going through their mind right now and thinking, did we just waste 20 years of our time? Did we just waste lives? Did we just waste limbs, brothers, sisters in arms, billions and billions of dollars? Although I think dollars pale in comparison to the other things that were, were lost during this time period and, and, and wanting them not to believe that, right? Because as, as an em- empathetic person, Theo, as an empathetic person, wanting it not to feel like it's positioned that way. But, but you look back and you think it's got to come with some grief. And it's something that we need to talk to folks who are facing that grief and that trauma to better understand it um, because we need to be there for them. And so our guest for this week, uh, pretty special. We've got members of the military for their respective countries the Allied Forces, one from America, one from Canada, um, both of whom are going to have a lot to say in this episode. So guest number one is, I feel like I'm on a dating show, guest number one, Jack Riggins, um, who's a retired commander in the U.S. Navy SEALs. He spent 20 years serving all around the globe. He was involved in SEAL operations in Iraq, um, where he was there, you know, similar time frame with what's going on with the Afghan war, and then also involved in special operations intelligence forces uh, in afghanistan so first off jack awesome to have you and we've done a ton of shit together before so so really psyched to have you part of this conversation 
And then Sean Arnston, who's a retired corporal in the Canadian military, uh, and I'm going to hopefully say this properly, 3PPCLI, um, was was one of, amongst the first deployed of the Canadian military forces to Afghanistan in 2002 and has since become a mental health advocate. So, boys, first off, welcome to the show and thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Tough topic. Good topic. Tough, yeah, tough topic, but one definitely that definitely one, one that's that trending to, in our community for sure. It, it it it's you know what, and I don't think like we look at other topics that happen in society in general and different groups that are affected by different events that happen, and it's like oh, we see that clearly. We see how that event can impact that group, and I think those of us who are civilians certainly Theo chime in here if you feel differently. You know, sometimes it gets taken for granted, unfortunately, right? I, I mean, I'd like to think I keep it top of mind as much as possible. But, you know, we're here sitting in, in the United States and Canada, wherever you're at in the world, and, you know, things are safe, right? For the last 20 years, you know, things have been relatively safe. And we're not realizing the sacrifices that are made in a such a large way. And I think an event like this, and the culmination, of, and hopefully what's not a culmination when we'll talk about this in the big picture, but the way things are playing out right now, how it really puts things into perspective. So, Theo, anything you want to add before I go into <clears throat> the timeline of, of, of our involvement in, in Afghanistan? No, just really honored to have two amazing uh, guests uh, tonight. And, uh, you know, I, I work in the field of trauma and, uh, you know, not only was COVID-19 the most traumatic event that's happened since World War II, and then all of a sudden they just added another layer by pulling out of Afghanistan and, and re-traumatizing, you know, our military. So, you know, um, I, at this point, um, you know, I'm not sure how the hell we get out of this, how we, how we um, help the amount of people that need help because it just seems to me that, you know, the goal here is to traumatize society as much as possible. And, and, uh, you know, once people are traumatized, well, they can't really think too much other than, you know, getting through day to day and, and, and all of that. And so I am excited to hear, uh, the perspective, uh, you know, from these two amazing, uh, guys that we have uh, with us tonight. And I think that sets the stage well, Theo. I, I, I thank you for that sentiment, and, and, I, and I feel the same way. And, and I think what's best is to give as much of a, a, a balanced timeline as possible. Hopefully people who hear this believe this is balanced. Not blaming more the X's and O's of, of what has taken place starting in 2021 you know, th- or, or in 2001. This is a war that lasted 20 years, which is the the longest war that America has ever been in. Um, of course, it started after the events of, of, of uh, 9-11, 2001. You know, from 96 to 2001, I mentioned before that the Taliban was a group in power in Afghanistan. And the belief was, and I think strongly held belief, that uh, they housed the terrorist groups, many of them, one of them being al-Qaeda, who we believe is a mastermind behind the 9-11 attacks. Uh, you know, September 18th, after that September 11th event, so just seven days later, President Bush signs a congressional resolution authorizing force against those responsible for 9-11. That's pretty broad, right? 
force against anyone responsible for 9-11. So that gives us a lot of ability to go after a lot of people. I'm, I'm kind of ad-libbing as I'm sharing some of the timeline here. So we begin bombing the Taliban and al-Qaeda in October. Um, troops are deployed towards the capital of Kabul, and we conquer the city. Um, the belief is at the time that bin Laden escapes to Pakistan. So, you know, we haven't been able to capture him, who we believe is the, the mastermind behind 9-11. 2002 comes around, Congress approves, th- listen to this number, $38 billion in spending and begins installing a transitional government centered in Kabul. Fast forward to 2005, Bush and the U.S. pledged to train and equip Afghan security forces to nurture the country's economy and government. Meanwhile, you got the Taliban still there and this resurgence starting with the Taliban. So you got these two competing things happen at the same time. The United States is trying to train and put in this government and these forces from you know folks who are in Afghanistan while the Taliban is still there kind of in the back shadows. And maybe you guys will tell us more, maybe not so much in the back shadows as this is all taking place. Uh, 2009, Obama sends in 17,000 more troops to stabilize what's going on with the Afghani government and to fight back against this, you know, Taliban, let's call it, you know, action um, and behavior. And then later in 2009, Obama sends 30,000 more troops, which brings a total over 100,000. Important number for people to know. We have 100,000 troops in 2009 in, in Afghanistan. Then you get to 2011, Obama does begin to withdraw troops, um, but but 70,000 still say, stay there. And preliminary negotiations with the Taliban begin, which again, can't wait to get your all's take on that because we're negotiating, but we're, we're negotiating with this group that's been housing terrorists for the five years before we ever got in there. 2016, Obama says that troops need to stay, right? So he says, even after his term's over, um, even as they improve, this is the Afghan army, the security forces are not as strong as they need to be to hold off the Taliban. Then you go to 2017, Trump's hasty withdrawal would create a vacuum for terrorists um, that they would instantly fill just as what happened with September 11th. So he later sends another 3,000 troops in, bringing the U.S. forces up to 14,000. September of 2019, now we get negotiations beginning again. So in fairness, there was negotiations between the Obama administration and the Taliban. Now there's negotiations between the Trump administration and the Taliban to stop the war, right? That's the way they're referring to it. Um, and the Taliban, importantly, is refusing to recognize the Afghan government that had put been put in place, okay? And so as they're negotiating and Trump is thinking about moving forward with a deal, Taliban bombs two different areas, kills 26 people, one of whom is a U.S. service member, okay? February 2020, and by the way, as we go through this after, if you guys have <laughs> facts to, 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 to correct me on here, please, please do so. February 2020, U.S. and Taliban finally reach an agreement to withdraw troops from Afghanistan, which will the, the target date is May 1st of 2021. And as part of the deal, the Taliban agrees that they're going to cut ties completely with al-Qaeda and refrain from attacking U.S. forces. I'm kind of a little bit rolling my eyes as I as I read that. You know, I think as a citizen, that's my take, being a little bit skeptical on it, but, but that's what we're told. Biden gets in, obviously, in early 2021, says he's going to continue with the withdrawal, but decides to push the deadline back at first to 9-11 of this year, of 2021. 
Now we get to real current events. July 6 happens. U.S. forces abandon Bagram Airfield, a decision that I'm sure is going to be critiqued on this conversation. Um, that's the largest military base and facility that Americans are controlling, the, the, the allied forces are controlling. Um, and, and Biden says we are going to be fully withdrawn by August 31st instead of what, we, what was originally going to be 9-11. Then August 15th, the Taliban, after watching the way that we're withdrawing out and we've given up the Bagram Airfair, Airfield, um, the Taliban topples many cities, gets into Kabul, takes over Kabul, um, and, and basically the Afghan government and the Afghan army just folds. Um, and Biden shortly after that, in an interview with Stepanopoulos, um, says that we are not going to leave any American behind. We'll get everyone out by the deadline of the 31st. I'm, I'm landing the plane here. August 26th, we have the unfortunate situation that the ISIS want to hear what ISIS K means, but ISIS K terrorists attack the American evacuation efforts. Uh, suicide bombing, what we hear from these terrorists all the time, what we've seen way too many images of now, the 13 U.S. service men and women and the and the 200 Afghans are killed. Obviously, their bodies brought back, the U.S. service men and women. And then August 31st, we're talking now on September 2nd, so this just happened. U.S. officials finish, you know, announce they finish their withdrawal, and it's believed that still over, and this might be, conservative estimates, 100 American citizens who wanted to leave are still back there, still left behind. We could call them hostages for that matter, along with thousands of Afghan al allies. So guys, sorry for the, the really long intro, but I thought it was important for everyone to hear that. It's a, a massive uh, list of, of, of a timeline that happened. And, and what I wanted to ask for both of you, just as a starting point, the fascinating thing about having you both on, you're both around the same age. You both started in the military roughly around the same time. You're both, you know, asked to serve right after 9-11 happens and we get involved in these wars overseas. So, Jack, maybe starting with you, what is going through your mind? Take us after 9-11 happens. You're a member of the military. And I know with you is Iraq, but... You know, your, your, your brothers, your sisters, everyone who's involved in going out to fight this war. What is going through your mind at the time? Um, well, when you're young like that and you've just kind of got all the training that's required and all of that money put into you. And, and in our case, do these long year and a half workups where you're honing your skill kind of as a small unit and also doing what we call interoperability with at least U.S. assets. At that time, I hadn't yet worked with a foreign force. Um, but, I mean, I, it's not bad. It's good that we're excited to go do something for real. I mean, that's just – that's what you want um, out of military people, especially the ones in combat arms. Um, you want that out of your police and your firemen. And, you know, my mom and I would go round and round about it you know, a fireman doesn't do what he does to sit in the firehouse. It, it's just the way it is. So, so there is that giddy excitement um, that you get to go do something for real and you're just not training. Um, if you talk to some of the guys that served at least in the U.S. military through the 80s and 90s, I mean, Gulf War One did kind of, you know, last a little while, but there certainly was a, a, uh, 
a boringness of service because there was nothing going on. And, you know, whether that's right or wrong, that's just the job and that's the excitement. And so, yeah, while you were pissed, you know, and it's in my part of the military and special ops in the U.S., we serve against this target set today, back then. Um, if you give me seconds, I can pull out old pictures of Osama bin Laden where I'm actually playing him as an op for. Um, so we live and breathe the potential terroristic threats as part of U.S. special operations and we train against it. So. So we knew who had conducted the attack or was more most likely to have conducted it. Um, and I guess the disappointment was that through the Clinton years, we wouldn't do anything about it. Um, and so this, as terrible as it was to lose, you know, I think 3,000 Americans or 2,000 something and then a lot of other nationalities, um, you know, we we're excited because there's no way we're not going to get a go you know, hunt and hunt and, and ultimately feel like we'd make the world a safer place. Uh, what's interesting though, is I was in the Pacific. So we were put on submarines and things, um, essentially hunting terrorist training camps that frankly, in the big picture, probably weren't, uh, involved or even matter. Um, and then Afghanistan, obviously Sean was really, on the ground super early. I mean, I know Americans that were on the ground as early as October um, up towards Mazar Sharif and, and working the North. And, you know, and I can't say this, the goal then uh, was to uh, obviously destroy the Al Qaeda network. I think as we discovered as time has gone on, Today's warfare against terrorist networks, and we probably could have learned this through the 70s and 80s with Iran-backed terrorists in the Middle East. Um, network is a is a difficult term to gather with, where armies are used to fighting like this. Uh, network imbues ideals and values uh, to the point of suicide bombers. Um, and so if you were going to, by classic military, destroy something, you would need to destroy the entire ideal. Um, and I think that's what we thought we were going to do. And clearly, we did push um, the Taliban out, um, most likely to get to Al-Qaeda, who they were harboring. And of course, Al-Qaeda kind of went to the four winds. And then, you know, as years would go on, you know, and I'll get off my soapbox, um, you know, they would pop up for people that watch Captain America, like Hydra. They would pop up all over the world. Uh, elements would splinter and be ISIS. Then they'd be Al-Qaeda. And so this network, after that push into Afghanistan that removed the Taliban, um, became maddeningly hard. From a U.S. perspective, it became maddeningly hard because then we got caught into potential building security forces in Afghanistan. Well, first we lift and shifted and went to Iraq. We did it all there. And then as you recounted very accurately, by the way, uh, we decided in 09 to pull out of Iraq and take everybody to Afghanistan. Uh, historically speaking, 
uh, once you were in Afghanistan, you probably wanted to finish the job there before you went to Iraq. It's a debate for another day. But the point is, we were excited to um, do our job. I mean, you could say avenge. Um, but I think very quickly what we understood at the levels I worked at and the target sets is, you know, if nothing good came of this, at the litmus was no attacks on, say, American or Canadian soil or Europe even as, as NATO would come in. Certainly there were some attacks uh, inside Europe. Um, and I just think that that sounds so terrible with the lives lost and the money spent. But the reality is we were fighting them in, in their turf, so we weren't fighting here. Um, and, but people are just never going to understand that. And that doesn't justify all the deaths or all the uh, innocence or the money. But it does justify a fight against an enemy that keeps them away from your homeland. So, I mean, I still take good pride in that, and I think people do. Um, but, yeah, me- as far as mental health, there, there's a lot. Like, this has been a hard two or three weeks, not just for me. Um, but I've talked to more active duty friends now than I have since I retired. I, I talk with a lot of other people. But – I'm glad you reached out because I also feel very isolated and lonely. And and I live in one of the most conservative like places in the United States. And there's just not a lot of vets around that understand the dynamic. Like I'm not going to understand until Sean talks, you know, where he was, what he did, because we would know each other if we cross paths, but I'm going to identify with everything he's going to say. And I'm going to understand the frustrations and, and I wrote a former CEO the other day, and I just put tired, cold, lonely. And then I said something like, I guess I need to take a breath and start sharpening my axe again. You know, because I wanted to come home and raise my kids and be done with it all. Sure. And this brings back reminders. And and Well, I, here's this- the deal. It's worse. That's the problem I have is 20 years ago on 9-10 – you had a bunch of guys on horse who believe in extreme Islamic law and did whatever the hell they did on their side of the world. Today, they might be the eighth or ninth most equipped military in the world with modern hardware. The Taliban will be in control of that landmass. People get confused all the time. They will side with ISIS when it suits them. ISIS will side with them. Al-Qaeda will side with them. And, and they'll continue to spread. We gave them a home. We gave them armament. And the Western world and values has a bigger threat today yep. than 20 years ago. But I, but I, the point I want to, as I transition to ask Sean about his experience, what, what you touched on, as much as you're talking about cold and empty and isolated right now, you did also mention the word pride. And take it from someone who's a U.S. citizen who watched 9-11 happen outside of his work window what you all did for us in terms of safe harboring, right? Like, like, and, and making sure our country was safe here, that debt can never be repaid on our end. And I'm sure Theo, you probably feel the same way as you're raising your hand. I was, I was 20 blocks away in New York the day it happened because I was playing for the Rangers at the time. And so we were getting ready for training camp and then, you know, all hell broke loose. And, and uh, you know, I know as, uh, a member of a team, how something like that shakes you to the very core of who you are as a human being. And you're like, yep. 
holy shit, like, am I safe? Yep. Am I going to be safe? And, you know, it's these two gentlemen who stepped up and, and uh, you know, uh, wore each of our country's flags on their sleeves and they went to take care of business so that we could feel safe, you know? And, 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 that, and like you said, that, that debt can never be paid back. Can't be paid back. And Sean, you know, as Theo shares that, you know, Jack went into what there was an excitement level, right? They trained and now they're ready to avenge, right? You use the word avenge. It, it's hard for me as an American to fully understand. And then also someone who never served in the military. What is going through your mind at the time? Because 9-11 happens. I don't know if you consider it on your soil or, you know, your neighbor's soil, right? You look at it that way. Yeah, and then ally, you're for sent sure. out. What was that? A NATO ally, yeah, for sure. Yeah, a NATO ally and and neighboring country. Do do you is there a piece of you as you're deployed out there? Are you saying like it's not our country that it happened to? Is it like what is your 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 feeling going in being deployed out there? Well, when 9-11 happened, I was uh the unit I was with is part of what they call IRFL, so immediate reaction force land. Uh I was deployed to England on an exercise. And uh, I just completed a 36-hour patrol, and I was racking out. And someone was like, "Hey, you got to come listen to this radio." And I and I, and I kind of shrugged them off. And then my sergeant major woke me up and was like, "Hey, you got to come over here. We're we're at war." And I'm like, "What? Are you guys like? Is this part of the exercise?" But then it was like, like Jack said, it was like, "Oh fuck yeah, it's on, man. This is my fight. My grandfather had his fight. My dad was a soldier and." Like I joined in the reserves in the mid nineties, we called it the decade of darkness in our army. There was like, really, it was boring. There's nothing going on. And, you know, it's like, here we go. This is it. We're, we're in for a fight. And then, uh, you know, there are some Americans deployed with us on that exercise. And I just kind of watching them and thinking, holy fuck, you know, like this, this, these are their citizens, you know, and uh, fuck, like, you know, and then when we got, we just started gearing up to, to go. So, you know, more exercises, more training, more, more stuff. And particularly with a lot of air assault stuff we did in, in our workup training within a few months before we deployed, and I can, deployed can, it. I deployed can, in February of 2002. Can you describe for everyone who's, you know, most of the world has never been to Afghanistan. Even more of the world has never been to Afghanistan during war. What is it like when you land there as a service person? Like, like, are you just, oh, do you feel like you're in this surreal movie almost happening? Yeah, I guess, I guess the first thing that hits you is the smell. Um, and then the heat, right? Like, it's just like, fuck, as soon as you walk into it, that's two things that I'll, never, you know. And then, I don't know, you're just there. Once you're there, you're there and you're, you, you're, you're doing your job and, and you're getting after it. But we, when we landed at Kandar Airfield, it had already been secured. The Rangers had parachuted in and secured the airfield. Um, you know, the Marines had already been there and punched out to this place called Camp Rhino. And then when we were there, we basically were with the 101st Airborne and there's a lot of special operations stuff going on at the time. Um, yeah. And we were just ready to, you know, and as Canadians, I was proud. And uh, still am. I mean, you, it, it's hard to watch this this happen, right? You know, 
Um, I'm still connected with the veteran community and I have been throughout the war and I've, I've heard, you know, what we've done to help build up the Afghan army. And, and then you watch this unfold, you can't help but think of the, the pain and suffering some of these people are going to experience before they die. And, and, you know, that, and, and I think for me, I think the last three, four weeks have been hard. I can echo Jack and saying, I've spoken to a lot of, a lot of military people right now. And I think deep existential crisis kind of covers it. You just, it's Afghanistan's always on your mind lately. You always seem to be thinking about, you know, people, friends you lost there. Um, you know, I think that's pretty natural considering the attachment we have to this country, right? Like, be, like once you're in Afghanistan, you're kind of like, wow, this place is it's different, but the people here, you know, they mean well. Like the Afghans that I met that were the Afghan army that weren't the Taliban, you know, they were they were pretty decent people, you know. A little different, but you know, for the most part, well, I think they just want to be free people. So does that movie start playing again? Does oh, the yeah. movie the movie like where you're actually in like when you're in Afghanistan, now does that movie that you've been working so hard to, you know, put in the past. Now is it right in front of you? Is it like, is it back? Is it there again? Yeah, I mean, it's impossible not to reflect. And then, you know, you're reaching out to other friends. They're sharing their experiences. It's, like I said, deep existential crisis. It's just, you look back on the last 20 years and you're like, okay, I've suffered with mental health, brain injury. For 20 years, I lost my whole youth to this cause, and now it's like, fuck. But at the same time, you know, uh, as a Canadian looking at it, when we got into it, you you, you knew that it was going to be a fucking mess. And, and, and the more you, you know, when we first got to Afghanistan, when we were doing patrols around there, it became pretty, pretty apparent that this is a very complex place. It's a very tribal place. It's it's like nothing you can explain to anyone about unless they've been there, right? <laughs> without without having a lot of time, right? And I, I'm that's I, I'm I'm interested in diving in as much as you guys are comfortable to that piece of it. And part of what we do on this show and as a movement generally, the reason why the name of the organization is same here is because we try to take what individuals have been through. And then figure out ways to put yourself in their shoes or share in what the experience was or is. And, you know, that hopefully neither of you will be offended by this analogy, right? I'm, I'm doing this to try to draw in people who've never been in military. Think about a team that you played on in a youth sports team, a college team, a professional team where you guys were going for a title and you lost in the finals. Okay. Just one year. And just one team. Think about a startup organization that you were a part of, that you poured in hours upon hours, dollars, time away from family. And let's just say it was three years of your life, five years of life. And then the, the company went bankrupt and you lost funding. And I think everyone has an experience like that. And you take that experience and you say, imagine that. And it being 20 years and your brothers and sisters, in this case, your teammates, if it was sports or your coworkers, if it was an office setting, being people from around the world 
who sacrificed life and limb, not just time, right? And and, and it's, again, I don't want to compare, but I want people to at least live in this moment to understand it. And to look back on it and say, you know, and, and that's the, the the hardest thing for me for both of you guys is is the pain that I feel internally because I know what it was like to lose a freaking feel. You're shaking your head because you know what it was like to go with the Rangers or any other team and go far and not make it after having won it with Calgary. It's like you take that and you just got to multiply it by so much because of what they went through and then what they saw. And and. I hope for for the two of you hearing it from us and the isolation that you're saying that you're feeling, and Jack, the reason why I reached out to you when I did, just as a friend, is that you know how much we appreciate what you all did, and that th- th- that 20 years is not lost on the majority, I would say, of the population. Th- th- there are so many people who are indebted to you, so many people who... I was able to get on a plane for 20 years and 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 forget about the fear of getting on a plane after, you know, it, it being a major fear shortly after 9-11. Um, I was able to go into a building not thinking something might just happen because this is a famous building in New York City. That's huge. And I, and, and I hope you guys take that to heart. And I hope you know that so many people feel that way because at a time when you probably feel alone and feel isolated, it's important for you to know how much people appreciate you. Um, you know, Sean, you talked about how difficult it is to explain to anyone what it is like to be there because it's such a rigmarole. For, so, so for both you and Jack, I'd love for both of you to answer this question to the best of your ability. Like the 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 citizen sees what goes on there and thinks, okay, there's an Afghan army, there's an Afghan government, then there's these these folks in Afghanistan who are your allies, who are interpreters and stuff like that. Then there's just the people of Afghanistan have nothing to do with the military or the government. Then there's Taliban and, 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 and Jack, you were kind of describing it. You know, you were using the example popping up everywhere and stuff like that. So that explanation was probably pretty basic. Is there a way for you to try to fill in the gaps of what I just explained of what it's like what you saw, what your friends told you, or what you lived through when you were there? Like I said, Afghanistan is a complex place, and it's a complex culture. Um, It's like everyone there is educated with the Quran. There's very few people there that have any sort of logical education, like anything that you could even conceive of as an education. So you got to think that, like, you're dealing with a stone age mindset um, in a lot of ways, but they're crafty. Like you, like they're warriors. They know how to fight, man. And in 02 to 05, they really just kind of watched what we did. And then um, at the end of 05, right into 06 onward to when Canada got out and in 09, 10, like they just put the fight hard to us. They just figured out where we were weak and oh yeah, they're smart as fuck, man. Like, if you, no, I'm saying Canada was smart. <laughs> yeah, I guess in 2014. But what's interesting is when I first got to the battalion, um, the Air, Canadian Airborne Regiment had disbanded and then it formed into the 3rd Battalion. So they're kind of a light infantry role, which is uh, kind of a lot more small unit tactics, not a lot of reliance on mechanized vehicles or anything like that. So when I got there, I was a keen kid. And one of the my section commanders, he said, he gave me this book, and it was a CIA analysis of Mujahideen tactics against the Russians. 
And he said, the most important for, thing for you to learn as a light infantry soldier is how to fight Warsaw Pact mechanized forces. And these guys know how to do it. They did it for 10 years. And they beat them, right? And here we are, same thing. So, the, you know, Afghans are smart in the way they fight, but they're not very, the people are not very well educated. So it's very easy to manipulate that group of people, especially with fear. And then it's like, it, it's such a complex place. There's like the town of Cochrane and the town of Airdrie would be two different clans that could potentially have some sort of tribal warfare that's been going on for centuries. And, and they're involved in the mix of this too. So it's, it's, it's a very dynamic place and it's not what it's, you know, not a very well-educated people. And for the most part, they're not, they're not the most friendly, you know, like some of them are, and but some of them were, you know, especially when we were there, you, you could see that they were Taliban right there. You were like, Holy fuck. These guys are all dressed in black. They're staring me down and they're just watching us. Like they're on the cell phone, you know, gathering data on what we're doing so you just answer the question like you, you're you're dealing with afghanis who are not taliban you're with them right next to you but then there's a taliban standing right there in all black and you're able to tell the difference between who's who and you're like holy shit that's very different than the person that i'm talking to right here yeah but the person you're talking to right there is going to be loyal to them because you're only you're just like the russians you're only there yep. for like how yep. long are you going to be here for yep right that's like it. they and they, you know, anyone that fought them, and from what I've heard, and I wasn't there, so for the, the guys I know that fought them 06 through 08, I mean, they were fighting pretty organized soldiers. Um, I feel like the Chechenians kind of trained, trained their own their own little army and then put it up against us, and the only thing they lacked was artillery and air power, and if they had it, it would, be, would have been a pretty even fight in a lot of cases. You know, they're skilled at what they do, and... I don't know, Jack, if you want to fill in like Middle Eastern culture, if you've been around it, it's just a, such a different place as a Westerner, man. Like it's a yeah, totally mean, I, different I, ball game. Yeah. I'll do my best to give my description. I mean, you, you're absolutely right. I mean, I didn't head up the intelligence stuff till that Obama 09 stuff. Um, so as a matter of fact, I think after the initial, what was that? 2003. I don't even remember if we had, we, we might have had a very small U.S. special operations presence in Afghanistan. Most all of it was in Iraq. Um, so then not until 09 did it start to flow back in. Um, but what's interesting, it, it, if you look at it, at least from a warfare perspective, we would have been after Iraq, the most combat experienced military on the planet ever. Um, and without a doubt, the Taliban had watched and they have training and they know what they're doing. They had fought for 10 years against the Russians. Obviously America had backed them a little bit back then provided them training and weaponry. Um, but yeah, I mean, they weren't, um, they weren't the hodgepodge Al Qaeda's or ISIS that we saw in Iraq. And, um, and, and they more resembled actual military units and you know could communicate and do advanced tactics so it's not a not formidable enemy when it comes to the taliban the dynamics of the people and i think this is what's so hard like i'm trying to put it in perspective if if maybe because i know everybody here generally knows new york city i'm not an expert but um you know if you took 
all of the poor and downtrodden in the city. And then the class right above them that's just has mom and pop shops, but then they have the loyalty to their boroughs, you know, Queens, Brooklyn. Um, but a vast majority are living way below the poverty level of no education. And they're just looking for, you know, a hand me out, or they're going to be a runner to get their water for the day. Um, that kind of does it justice. But the word I would use is not educated Quran belief in Islam is zero, zero sophistication. Okay. You know, one or two pieces of cloth you wear for your lifetime. Um, and so, this and you said it, Sean, and I thought it was a good good word for people to understand. Very manipulative, ma potential to be manipulated people, both by something like radical Islam, also by an oppressive force Taliban, no ability to fight back. Right? Like, hey, man, I, I just want to raise my kid, do the sheep, and you know, raise my sheep and get water. So, basic necessities, folks. The the vast majority. No women's rights, no education for girls, babies, cook, be done with it. Um, and most males, fighters or die. Um, but, you know, the Taliban's not stupid. I mean, they want to have infrastructure, so obviously males are going to perform those, you know, low-level works. Um, so great fear in the population. And in the end of the day, obviously, we would <laughs> as well try to, quote-unquote, manipulate them to find targets um, and I think this always summed it up for me. Um, we might carry lots of cash and some guy would turn down 10 years of wages for one piece of information for a fucking chicken. Like I can change your life right here. And he's like, no, I just, I need a chicken to feed my kids today. You're, you're like, no, you can buy 10 billion chickens for the next 40 years. No, I just need a chicken. They're like, okay, go get a chicken, you know, or, or tires for his car. Um, and so this game plays out with an unsophisticated population or educated population. At some point, obviously we say, oh, we're going to form a security force and, oh, we're going to have a government. Um, and there's a big thing. If you've been watching the news in the U S um, about generals lying over the last 20 years. Um, I don't buy that, meaning, at least in America, people have to understand the senior generals are usually appointed by the then president of the United States. And so at that point, they begin to get kind of caught between political whims and military tried and true practices. And it's so hard because it's not a lie to say over the last 20 years, we're making progress in Afghanistan. It's also not completely the truth, meaning what do you want accomplished there, right? So if the goal is just go get Al-Qaeda and get them on the run, well, that was done when Sean was there, and a guy like me would have never seen any of this. It was. It was done. I mean, yeah, they went in hiding, but they went all over the place. Um, you know, and, and at least in America, and I think, you know, our, our allies have always helped us. And that's one of the things I'm very frustrated about is I feel a responsibility just as an American guy, having worked with everybody, we would cut and run like this. And what's that do to the future of our relations with people 
that frankly, in my time frame, I mean, there's brothers and sisters as anybody here in America, it's, it's more like Western values. Right. And, uh, and I don't have control of that at the big government levels, but it's, it's, I don't know. It's like a piece of your heart is broke. Um, kind of going off track, but no, no, no. Well, the, the, but you're that, that's is- an impact. People aren't going to understand unless you served and were there. Like Canada gets involved because of our relationship with America. Right. As a matter of fact, when we went to Afghanistan, Americans sold everybody on the all for one, one for all. And then we end up leaving and we left the Brits. We've, we've probably, we've left the Aussie, whoever, they're, they're still there. Like the, the British are, have troops there getting people out. And it's, that's, it's a break of values and promise that we hold dear in America. As far as the people go, I do want to end with this. Listen, I've been to every continent, but Antarctica, <laughs> people are fucking people. Even if they're uneducated or whatever, you can see it in their eyes that most of them want to just, I'm here. I want to provide for my family, my offspring, and I want the world or my little hut circle to be a better place. You can see that in people's eyes. You can also see evil, right? You can see the people like Sean's talking about. If you get close enough to them, you can see that there's nothing. They're just, whether you want to, on a psychologist standpoint, say they got nothing in there or they've been so traumatized or whatever, and there is hate and that there is evil and nobody who has been in any of these places because the Middle East, unfortunately, may have the most people like that. Um, they do want to do harm. And I don't think you should stand by in a world population and allow that to exist. Um, you know, in, in the case of Nazi Germany, I mean, who knows? There may have only been X amount of evil people, but the rest of them followed orders. You know, here we have a mass amount of human rights violations as we understand it. And, and I just think that, you know, for me, I don't roll the Theo, like the movie tape. And sometimes I actually worry about that, like that I've stuffed it in a place. Um, But I do think about it every day. I think about people, something in the air, it just never, but the thing that I guess hurts me the most is not only the sacrifice of, everybody and i know people have trauma but it's it's i guess those innocent people just just people like you and me um that happen to be born there and we have the power to make some change and we don't follow through at the same time i will say this and shut up is you and i have talked about this eric like the military is a good place to highlight these issues uh mental health issues um and you and i have talked it's a little overhyped meaning we forget that other people and other jobs in those businesses care as much as we do um, put, you know, put their wife and kids on hold um, went and put 20 years of training in for, you know, an NFL or NHL championship. And it all came crashing down or had a catastrophic injury and couldn't do what you wanted to do. Um, so I never mind highlighting it. Um, ours may get more press and more severe, but I think that it's, if we do it right, it's a good way for people to understand we're people too. Like Sean and I have to live the rest of our lives with whatever comes as you guys do with whatever comes forward. But these things, as far as mental health goes is real. And everybody on the planet 
uh, suffers from them, you know, and, uh, and, 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 you know, when I, growing up, you know, I talked about the images of seeing, you know, retired service people at the, at the tables, you'd also hear terms and it changed, you know, every five years from shell shocked to misfit to unable to assimilate. Right. And it would eat away at me. And then, you know, what's my experience? You know, you two know it, Sean, you'll get to know it as we get to know each other more. I'm that person laying in a bed, staring at the ceiling, unable to function. Right. And when I see how the brain can be impacted that way in many different ways, you, you know, it, it's it's awesome for me to have you two as resources because I always have to run it by you in a respect factor to be able to say, am I am I doing you a disservice by trying to 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 bring people together under the understanding of how we can all struggle and how we can all be impacted? But it but it it, it sounds like coming from you, Jack, and and you, I saw you shaking your head, Sean, that it's almost a relief, a little bit in a way, like to know that it's not just quote, members of the military, that people are people, that 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 trauma does happen. And I'm wondering if, you know, you mentioned Theo, you, you, the, the winning the, the the NHL Stanley Cup or, or NFL Super Bowl. Do you think, Sean and Jack, do you think that the fact, and I'm, I'm, I'm harping on something that you said, Jack, where you said, well, the generals were kind of being truthful and kind of lying at the same time. Not lying from the standpoint of like purposely lying, but lying from the standpoint of like, how do you define what is moving forward? And now in, in Theo's case, in my case, right, Theo, it's winning a Stanley Cup. It's definitive. You know what the win is or isn't. In my case, it's, you know, on the business side of things, it's selling out an entire arena every single year and keeping a sellout streak going, right? Like that's what I'm charged with as, a, as, as overseeing a revenue generation part of a team. For both of you, the, do you think it was harder – in the heart of it, let's call 2009 on to see what was going on and not know how you would define victory. And then because maybe you didn't know how to define victory, it's making what's happening now even that much harder because it's, it's a little, there's, there's blurred lines between what would be considered a win versus not. That's a tough question to answer. I think, um, I think, when I, the way I looked at it, 09, I'd already been out of the military. So I was starting to look at ways to help people with mental health um, when they got out or when they were still in while they were transitioning. Trans, transitioning. So um, I think for me, I just kind of put win or loss on a back burner and, and where it was just content with thinking we made a difference, we're making a difference, it's going to be okay. And now when you look at it, it's like, oh, fuck. Well, it's definitely not going to be okay there. <laughs> you know, we, we're we're right back where we started. We literally, except the Taliban are way better armed. The Russians at least took their shit with them, right? Yep. So, and, so what I'm uh, hearing from you, what I'm hearing from you, Sean, to paraphrase that is victory to you was making a difference. It, it, yeah, wasn't, necessarily, it wasn't necessarily that this thing had to happen where – the army, the Afghan army takes over and now rules for 20 years as a democracy running Afghanistan. It's we were in there to make a difference. That's a victory. Yeah, that's the way I saw it. That's the way I had to process it, I guess, as a soldier, you know, like, in know, nine, we're still losing friends. Right. And that's it's in for me to process that loss. It just had to be like, OK, it was just like my grandfather's war. Just that's 
you know, we're doing it. There's, there's a reason. And now like, I, I think jacket heartbreak is like, I guess the biggest and the same thing. I looked Afghan interpreters in the face there at the gate, you know, we're, we're guarding the gate and watching while well, they search them and shit. So, and, you know, they get out and process. I engage conversation with this kid. He's probably 17. He's like probably the most educated, one of the, some of the most educated Afghans I'd ever seen, you know, could hold the conversation in English. And, uh, I told them, you know, if you work for Canada, they're not going to let you down. You'll probably just get to come immigrate. It'd be a good way to get your family out of here. And, you know, and because I just assumed, you know, being Canadian, that my government would just, yep, they'll, they'll probably make a deal like that. That's how it goes. You know, you can trust us guys. And now I'm thinking like 20 years later, that kid's going to be 36, 37, you know, probably worked for us the entire time. You know, is he out? Is he is he there? Is he being skinned alive? Is he, you know, being horrifically murdered? Um, and those thoughts cross my mind. I don't think it's so much as a playbook, but it's like people I encountered. Like, where are they? What are they doing? And, and do you, do you kind of know? Like, you know, Sean, you did. Thank you for sharing with me what would be considered, you know, uh, progress, movement forward, victory, if you will. And then, and then you're sharing with me a, a, a very personal story about a, a kid who sounds like he was 16 years old at the time when you knew him. And then the the what if scenarios of of what might he be going through right now. So was Jack maybe maybe for you like in hearing that from Sean was there part of you that knew we're making a difference that is victory, but no matter how this plays out even if we had pulled out better than we had over this last two months and it was quote more successful and we didn't leave uh, allies and Americans there, we didn't have the deaths of the 13 um, servicemen and women. Did you kind of know that the volatility of the region was going to leave people in a precarious situation regardless? And, and so you had to look at it like our time there is our time there to make things better for the Afghani women to be able to be educated, to start to learn other ways of culture outside of what it's like being in Afghanistan, again, to protect anything from happening overseas. Like I almost, if I'm in your shoes and I'm hearing you say that, Sean, it's like, if you know the Taliban is that dangerous, you know that it's hard to just eliminate them altogether you almost got to say, I'm here, and during the time I'm here, I'm here to make the impact that I am, but I also have to understand that in the long run, some of these outcomes are going to take place. Yeah, that is a great question. I mean, you know, I I agree with Sean. Like, I feel very comfortable and have a lot of um, pride both in individuals that I'll never know um, that I've run across, um, that even if it was that, you know, in Iraq, the 10 year buffer or, or in Afghanistan, this longer buffer, um, they had a better quality of life, um, no matter how they chose to use it. Um, they, they did have opportunity. And, and so there, there's a buffer in that kind of oppressive way they used to live. And then that individual thing. Now, I would probably drive myself crazy or I'll definitely, if I'm like, if I get, if I get stuck on that, yeah, yeah. um, the what ifs, I probably need to go talk to somebody or a lot of people. Um, and I'm sorry I brought it up by the no, way. No, it I doesn't bother me. I mean, 
because here's where I'm going with it is so that individual part of it, um, again, because you see these people, you, in my case, you might've slept with them, um, you know, in their houses and stuff. And, um, and some are more reliable than others, but, um, and that, but that goes the same thing in the homeland. Like now that I've been out for a few years and quote unquote, reintegrated into society, I, I struggle a lot because, and, and this is going to sound terrible for some of the Americans out there, but you know, it is what it is from my perspective. Um, some of you aren't worth fighting for, uh, and you make me more sick than some of the people over there. I mean, the Taliban would line up and fight you with honor. Um, the Iraqis, and different elements. I mean, yeah, they had their beliefs and yeah, I didn't share that. And I had orders to do something else, but you know, I have to look for Americans and people like you guys that are trying to take what you have, not only in freedom because not everywhere is free, but experience and pass it on. Even if you only make the difference in one person's life, and then to me, see, what do you need me to do? I'll run through a wall, do whatever, because that's how this world gets better, right? And Sean's obviously hit that running earlier than, you know, uh, when I, I was still in the military. Those are important things. And I guess what frustrates me to your win thing, and I said it earlier, is, well, what is a win? Because that's defined these days by politicians and sometimes these generals, listen, I thought with Afghanistan, we do what we didn't do in Iraq, which I was very much part of both of these planning and going up to Washington type things, obviously not this most recent one, but militarily, most of us thought that we would grab an air base, say in Iraq, Al-Assad out in the middle, kind of like um, Bagram. You know, maybe you have two, 3,000 troops of NATO. You do a rotation through there. You do training exercises and you help the security forces because they don't need much. They need enablers. Once they're trained and equipped, they really need technology. And, you know, they just need that backup of firepower that usually from us comes from the air, artillery, things that can shoot. Um, and then they need advisors. We, we, and I'm sure... Canadian soft, my guess would be, um, we deploy all the time and train foreign governments and foreign nations. I mean, it's called foreign internal defense. Um, and I think about that and that's how I thought Iraq would end. And president Obama went against the wishes of the military. We pulled up. Well, I thought Afghanistan is the perfect thing for that because Bagram's where it's at. Um, you know, if you looked at what could have been, um, you could have had two Western bases, one in Afghanistan, one in Iraq. The one in Iraq sits between Israel and Iran, which is pretty good. You have influence because you're there. We can send our troops. I mean, the United States alone probably has 200 to 300,000 troops abroad right now. What, seven aircraft carriers with 5,000 people deployed? And we couldn't leave 3,000 rotating through over the next 40 years? Um I thought that's how it would end. And maybe I'm naive. Um, maybe I'm a hopeless romantic. But to me, knowing that generations in all Western countries will volunteer to serve not only their country, but as a coalition, the greater good of mankind.
to push back evil wherever it appears. Um, I thought we had turned that corner, like just as a people and a nation and, and clearly uh, we haven't. And I think that's what scares me the most going forward. Each time evil pops up on the planet. And if you're a military historian, a little bit like I am uh, just go back to the Bible. Um, it will only be destroyed when it's destroyed. So we've just kicked the can down the road. And that's also very disappointing, right? Because my son is just graduated high school. He's joining the air force. Um, I have friends on still on active duty. Um, and that's frustrating to me. I, I would have thought American wise, we would have learned that lesson post Vietnam. And, um, it appears we haven't. And so I'm, I'm almost embarrassed as an American too. That's another feeling I have. I'm embarrassed. Um, because like Sean said, I mean, I know me and, and many other people like me, Sean being one of them. I mean, I know I said things down on the ground and, and I meant them. I meant them at the time to help these people. And I thought I had the, I thought I was the tip of this spear of American foreign policy, you know, in that area and, and military, if it will be, I mean, for God's sakes, I commanded all soft and Ramadi and Fallujah. I mean, every single American soft unit was under, I mean, we were all over the place in there. And, uh, and I mean, so it's going to take time, but you know, this is that, complicated thing of politics and military and foreign relations and i think that again how i'm gonna go and i still go is making a difference in one individual is always worth the sacrifice mm -hmm. and is it is it helpful as theo and i like theo runs groups he's got his breaking free foundation runs them up in canada and the four of us are all mental health advocates and maybe i'm i'm trying to make some kumbaya from this session that doesn't exist, but I'd like to believe it does. So you, you can give me your true answer here for, for Sean and for, and for Jack does hearing each other talk about it. And then just hear us, us at least try and relate to it. Is it cathartic? Is it therapeutic at all? Um, versus what you, the isolation that you've dealt with over, over the last two weeks or so. And it's okay if not like I, <laughs> but, but I, I, I'm hoping from this. Yes. It's important for the audience to hear it. But I'm hoping there was something that you got to take out of this that allowed you to connect with each other on a human level that's been hard to do over the last, you know, yes, you have your own individual contacts, but, you know, to do something like this that you know other people are hearing and, and, and to hope that that's healing in some way. Yeah, I see that. Um, I feel honored that you're even just like, hey, what's, what's this guy's opinion? Because, like, I just, like, a rifle company trash we call them dudes in the army like i'm just a dude but um as a mental health advocate i you know i gotta look at my friends and my peers and just what's going on you know i'm a little bit of a historian myself and what's happening in canada right now with vaccine passports and other things um you can see an orwellian design to it and and i think that um a lot of military people see that as well and it's um that's kind of, you know, on top of Afghanistan, there's this concern I feel in my own country that there's mistrust in my government, there's mistrust with the direction they want to go. And uh, I feel like I put a lot of a lot on the line to defend this stuff that's just being fucking thrown away in Parliament. And and it's 
I think that on top of Afghanistan is creating this deep existential crisis that I've said is just that like a lot of guys now are like, holy fuck, like what, what, what did we do this shit for? Did we really follow our grandfather's example? And my grandfather fought in the second world war. So um, did we, you know, are we, are we holding the torch up high right now as a society with this COVID stuff or, and there's those things I feel are uh, vexing to me anyway. And in our community, it's caught, you know, well, there's 14,000 voluntary releases in the Canadian forces right now. Canadian forces only has like 60,000 dudes. You know, you can put them all in a college, an American college uh, stadium to watch a game. That's every airman, sailor and soldier. So with a small force with that many voluntary releases, I think that that shows a lot of, where the mindset of those soldiers are anyway, they don't want to follow this. In our case, Trudeau, they don't want to follow him and his path of uh, globalism. And I think, uh, you know, it's fair to say that half of those releases are Afghanistan vets that are looked at it and said, well, fuck you then we're, we're not, we're out of here. And as a military, that's, let me just jump in from my own experience. So I was molested by a, pedophile okay and what's happening right now is way worse than the the pedophile that i was manipulated by lied to fucking you name it the whole nine yards this feels worse than the shit that i already went through and i've never said it but i'm telling you right now this is abuse at the highest level and it feels worse than the 150 times that the guy raped me this feels worse because it's emotional and spiritual abuse whereas my actual abuse lasted for maybe a half an hour and then it was done this is constant daily over and over and over and over again and I know I'm not the only person that feels this way. It is happening to, well, most people I talk to now on the, uh, on social media or emailing me are like, I'm so afraid. I don't know what to do, you know? And, and when you're in that state of fear, that's when we are going to see extreme cases of mental illness. Yeah. And Theo, I think, you know, for this show where from a political standpoint, this isn't political. This is real. I I want to make this statement because I think it's important for people to hear is you got two folks who served in the military. You got Theo, who was traumatized at a young age, that when you are have a hypervigilance towards mistrust, towards um being manipulated your radar senses are up for being manipulated and having mistrust in other areas and i think that's what you know is being shared here and i and i I share the theo because you're right you're not making it political no one here is making it political but people will hear those comments and will internalize them politically and i and I, i i thought it was important to give some context to it overall because when you've been through stuff and and you've been in that tug of war 
of of mistrust and and not understanding and feeling like you're being used man like when you when you see the pattern again in some way like you feel like you're stuck in it and that's what you guys are describing right now and it, and it's an awful feeling yeah yeah the world the world the world is being triggered from their past traumas except that it's reality like it's this is real this is real yeah, like today in alberta i don't know you guys probably don't know this but our provincial government is now offering a hundred dollars for everybody to go get the vaccine and you know i don't want to get the vaccine simply because i'm healthy i've read the I, I i'll roll the dice when it comes to covid fuck it i'll roll the dice i rolled the dice in afghanistan i'll roll them with covid i don't i just don't want to do it if people want to get vaccinated go right ahead if you don't go right ahead you know whatever floats your boat but if you don't do it you shouldn't be coerced you know the nuremberg trials went through this shit, and uh i think as a veteran you know and jack said it and th there's a lot of canadians that weren't worth my my sacrifice that weren't worth my friend's sacrifice i've said that to people so i've lost some you know i'm an abrasive guy but like but it's true there's like when we look at this and i think you know most of my friends were killed before they were 30. There's a few that were killed in their early 30s. Most of them are killed in their early 20s. And I think now as a 45-year-old, I think, holy fuck. Like, that guy, that's what this guy gave, is that 25 years of, like, raising a child, having a wife, you know, all the stuff that is gone. And then now I, I, I kind of thought, well, we're fighting for freedom. We're fighting for individual freedom. This fight will never come here. And I don't know about you, Jack, but I'm I'm watching the cards stack up. And as a historian, I'm like, holy fuck, there's going to be a gunfight here soon. <laughs> well, <laughs> like eventually they'll, they'll somebody's going to start shooting. Well, there'll be a gunfight from the Middle East, and we're closer to gunfights internally as a people. And that's what's really scary. I mean, Theo said it. I mean, everybody knows you're an idiot if you don't realize mental health has gone through the roof just because of COVID. Um, and on many different levels from children in schools, um, to adults and, you know, isolated home working. I mean, my God, in my little town here, I mean, just my own friends, I mean, my kids' friends, like we've had attempts and like, I've had to go like rescue people, like get there before the fire and rescue. Um, and, and in one way it's kind of, it's sick because I'm kind of like, Oh, I'm alive. Like, of course. Right. I used to be a high adrenaline guy and I, I know all that emergency stuff. And, um, and you feel really sick. Like you just did a good thing. You would have, I would have felt terrible if I didn't respond. Um, like major depression, right. Trained, but didn't do anything. So at least I still will go, you know, I still will act on the call to action. Um, but then at the same time, like I'm sitting there feeling sick that like I helped, but then how did this little girl get in this situation? So, you know, that's at an all time high, at least in our lifetimes globally, or at least here in the West. Right. And then, then you add, you know, we'll say your veteran populations. I mean, we have differing levels, right. But, but one of the things, especially the same here that we understand is the more we talk, um, we realize that this is just everybody. And, and, and yes, we get it sometimes from our military service or sometimes we get it from abuse before or after. Um, the goal is to normalize it 
across it so we can communicate. But like, yes, for us, I think then you add this like last three weeks spike. I mean, I kind of felt like I was fighting on um, because I do a radio show here locally where um, I talk about the local issues, government, whatever. Um, and I felt like, you know, true American, like, Hey, get active, like start local, you know? And, um, and I felt like I was already in a 270 degree fight, like on American values, um, on COVID beliefs or not beliefs, you know, that whole Orwellian encroachment on freedoms. Um, and I don't mind doing that because, um, once again, I mean, I feel it's my duty to at least provide facts and, and to people and, and research because I have the time and it's, you know, I participate in democracy by defending it before. And now I participate by research and activism and activism with mental health. Um, and yeah, but I didn't feel good. And I use the phrase this, um, are we winning? You know, am I winning at life? Um, and I felt kind of task saturated three weeks ago with that stuff. The same stuff you're talking about, Theo. And you add this in and I'm like, my God, like I'm more experienced. I'm more stable than I've ever been yet. I feel like I'm in a 360 fight. Um, now to your point, Eric, yeah, it helps tremendously. Like I called all my bros that know of our relationship. I was like, dude, Eric reached out. It, it was like a godsend. Um, not because I do have good military support folks and I have good friends that we can talk about. And most of my friends, Theo, are like you. They're former sports guys because they understand the locker room. They understand that striving together. We all miss that a little bit, but we move on, raise our kids and share. Um, but, but it, you know, it never leaves. No, that's like, the thing people don't understand. It never, ever leaves. Yeah. And, and you compare everything to that you yeah. compare every new group you have to yeah. that bond yeah. you compare every quest either individual or as a group mm -hmm. um yeah it's a benchmark mm -hmm. and uh but well, it, and, and, and this conversation reminds me of what happens after the game yeah when we're out yeah you know sharing some camaraderie yeah and we're just talking yeah, you're just you're just bros talking and you're learning. And I I said last night to a guy, I said, yeah, hey, uh, thanks for the chat while we were reloading our guns. Now we weren't, we we're on the phone, but when we used to reload and clean our guns, you know, you get a lot of bonding. You get more bonding time, at least in the military. Sean can attest to this. You know, cleaning shit. You know, working on trucks, working on weaponry, than you do actually walking next to your brother. And I mean, that's where the bonds come, um, and all that flying on the plane in the bus um so no i love this because like i've said i don't exactly know how to bridge the gap of when i'm frustrated with my own countrymen absolutely some of them deserve it i mean there are evil people in america there are people that are always going to be ideologically different than me however i still want to try to bridge that gap and so i think i enjoy from my experiences in the military and now civilian life, I enjoy talking about difficult subjects with other people that didn't have my experience. I enjoy talking with my brothers too, but we can often have the same experience where I can learn and I hope people can learn that are a stay-at-home mom from me 
or somebody, you know, in college or some sports guy or anything out there. I hope they can go, wow, that guy did, you know, did that for 20 years and oh, he's just like me or he's struggling with the same things I am. I mean, I, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think I've slept, but about two hours every night, if I even got good sleep, um, you know, I talked to my wife about it and my group, I mean, lack of sleep sucks quality sleep. Um, and you know, tonight I'll probably get a great night's sleep because I've been able to express it to you guys and meet somebody like Sean, like, Dude, I played football with some Canadians, and I was just waiting for his accent and processing. Can I say it right to come out? Like, yeah, like I love the Canadian accent, right? Um, and then, I don't know. And so it takes me a little bit back to the team room of just trying to do good. I mean, it's easy to think of the military or each one of us as some god savior. No, I did my job. I did to the best of my ability. I'm proud of it. Um, but yeah, I'm disappointed in the outcome. I'm disappointed in senior leaders. Um, I'm disappointed with the handling of COVID and the fact that people might say I have to get a shot to go to Iowa. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? Like, wh what the fuck is going on, at least in America? I mean, I'll only throw them out. Well, I, no, I'm going to throw Australia under the bus, too, because I served a lot with SAS. The last operation I did was with the Australians. And boy, if they weren't a bunch of good guys. And, and it's interesting because in times like this, we were out on a ship and we were talking and they were telling me about some crazy political stuff going on in their country. And I was like, what? This would have been 2014. And I mean, I couldn't believe it. Um, and then lo and behold, I mean, look today, right? They're going to have to download an app with facial recognition and uh, check the government will check, uh, you know, check in within 15 minutes. or they're going to send the police out to you. Like what? I mean, thank God I'm not in Australia. Um, but I mean, I heard these things and that's just another front. And so my point is that's going to add stress to people. It's adding stress to me. Um, this is stress right now, but again, the whole mission of like same here and what you're doing, Theo is, is I don't know any other way folks. Um, it's the same way I got sober. It's the same way I got over abuse. It's the same way I got off opioids was to talk about it. And in my case, I had to get real raw. And you know what? If there were people that kind of couldn't handle that, I had to find the people that could handle that because I have to I have to continue to do that. And I'm probably going to have to continue to do it. God knows how long with this thing in Afghanistan. Yeah. So Absolutely. that kind of like, I guess everybody, you know, is at least familiar with the 12-step program. So it's fair to say like this is, you know, you're powerless. And that's sort of when we look at recovering from how to deal with Afghanistan, it's like, you're powerless, man. Yeah. And as a soldier, you didn't have a fucking say anyway. <laughs> no, you thought you controlled everything, but it's a lot of fucking luck. And I think, you know, a good way to wrap this because it's, it's, you know, we, this is more than we usually ever do because this, this, this conversation was so important to have. And, and there's so many interesting and unique perspectives is I'm taken from this, in a world where I see so much division, what I'm hoping people heard from Sean, from Jack, from Theo's personal experience, seeing the world in a similar way to where Sean and Jack is. And the only reason I'm not throwing myself in there is because I'm trying to be someone on the outside who's saying, let's bring this all together, is different perspectives are formed based on the different experiences that we have. And we got to get away as a society 
from being like those MFers over there who are awful in this way. We got to get where we're talking openly like this and where we're being raw and where we're not just throwing campaigns at each other and digging our heels in on one quote side versus the other. There's commonalities that we can find out there, even even with the people that we have some of the greatest ideological differences with. I do believe that. Yes, I'll I'll attest to what you're saying, uh, Jack, that there are some evil people out there, right? That that's the some people have just been through some stuff and getting them out of the dark side is really difficult. But I I I, I want to believe that the the 90 plus percent of the population of which you see 45 45 splits in, in in many cases if if people were willing to get together and have jam sessions like this go back to what it's like to being part of a sports team where maybe guys don't it didn't all love each other on a team but they were working towards goals together you bond with those people even if even if they're not your best friend even if that's not the person that you want to room with on the road and what you guys just shared this uh you know during this episode is is invaluable and I I so appreciative that you said that you might have a better sleep tonight, Jack, because it, it it makes Theo and I feel good about this. Sean, I'm 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 so appreciative that you said that you're humbled by being asked to come talk. It, it, that 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 means the world to us. Just know that we are appreciative, Theo and I, on our end, that you guys wanted to have this conversation and you you engaged as much as you did. And uh, and and we're gonna have you back on. Um, this is too important of a topic for us not to discuss. Hopefully, the topic will not be Afghanistan related. It will be again more the normalization of different segments of society dealing with mental health things. Since you're both mental health advocates, and how we bridge gaps and and make people feel more part of the same team. But uh, but incredible hour. Uh, I thank both of you. I know Theo thanks both of you. Our friend uh, Darren Ravel here uh, on my shoulder. Thanks both of you. Well, if you <laughs> want to just keep the recording going, you guys can leave and I'll just keep talking therapy myself <laughs> and I'll fall asleep. But no, I know I'll sleep better because I just needed, uh, I mean, we talk here and there, Eric, uh, you know, we cross, but it's been a while and, uh, you know, we see each other on social, but yeah, I just needed like another voice. And then, you know, having Sean is like, to me, that's like bonus. It's like, dude, bro from Canada, man. And then he's like, Oh God, he was in there early, you know? And, uh, and I think that's the thing. You're exactly right. Like it's just wherever we get it from, we get it. Um, but I do know that these type of jam sessions, like you say, and normalizing and talking, um, it's already been healing for me. I, I will. I just needed to, I guess, talk to somebody on the outside and ask me some different questions. Um, yeah, the hurt will be there, but I do agree with you. And I'll, I'll recant my evil. It's probably 99.95 people on the planet of the billions of people, whatever. Uh, you know, other other people, right, can – it's just experience. And they believe in something for now. I mean, I used to be a hellraiser. You know what I mean? And uh, I just – I think people are worth it. But people also do some dumbass shit sometimes. And yep. – uh, I just want people to understand that these struggles don't have to be as painful as they are. Well said. All right. Well, Sean, Jack, on behalf of Theo, this is Eric Houston and another episode of We're All a Little Crazy, and we will speak with you next week. You just heard We're All a Little Crazy, brought to you by the hashtag Seen Here Global Mental Health Movement and the Hockey Podcast Network.